I got in the house Kevin Tenney from Tenney's Pizza here, people. Here to tell us a little bit about the Beast Pizza. I don't know if you guys know this thing, the Beast Pizza. It's 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 a monster. We actually, uh, for my son's birthday this year, we just ordered, I think we got one. How many did we get? We got like one or two. Yeah, you got two of them, I think. Two of them. How much are they each? They're 25 bucks. They have a one topping on it, but these things, if you guys are looking to do a party or anything, it's, cra- it's crazy. It's like once you get them... It, it's a 26-inch pizza, which is enormous. Like, the size of the box is, like, a door. Oh, people walk in, and people are... Or you walk in with the pizzas, and everybody's like, whoa! Yeah. It's super cool. Yeah. So if you guys are looking for something that your kids would love for your birthday parties or whatever, 25 bucks, you get a one topping, pepperoni cheese, we cut it up into squares for you. It will be the life of the party for sure. There you have it, folks. The Beast Pizza. Get one for your party now. are back it's the fun and strength <laughs> podcast we are <laughs> you didn't even count down <laughs> like you said go you really that was, that was a little hostile b tenny i know how are you i, I haven't seen you in I, like a while like three days or so i know actually it's not three days i two days so i just how's saw life? you <laughs> what are you doing what's what's life like these days um my husband said i've been bitchy the last two days oh, no. <laughs> why did you start that way Oh, you asked. Oh, sheesh. <laughs> no, he's like, you've been kind of aggressive lately, or the, for the last couple of days. I'm like, I have. That's I don't good. Know why. That should, you need to show up aggressive on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Just grill the crap uh, out of me. Yeah. I, I wasn't aggressive, though. I was kind of ornery. He's like, we're talking about passion today. <clears throat> I know not, nothing not about sexually. that. <laughs> and he's like, what, what are you passionate about? I'm like, nothing. Because so <laughs> we were running carpool and I was tired and I was like, and I just bought a washing machine. Who the freak wants to buy a washing machine? You mean you're not passionate about washing machines? So, What's wrong with you? I was telling, Brindley was with us and I was like, you know what sucks about being an adult? You have to spend a lot of money on stupid things all the time. But now it's that the small true. things like the washing machine that's brand new that just gets me excited about life. Oh, I do not get excited because I'm like, except, yes, it'll be nice. I need a washing machine. Like, you'll like works, doing laundry for the first like three loads and then you'll be over it again it was just funny he's like i'm he's like i feel like you need to find your passion i'm like i don't feel like i need to have a passion i feel like i'm really good ladies and gentlemen that <coughs> other voice that you hear is our good friend Corey holton hi how's it going yeah, <laughs> you have a good radio voice man. oh thank you no you really do do i yeah i'm excited for I everyone think, to hear your voice i honestly okay so i do a lot of facebook lives and stuff like that at work and i hate Watching myself back. First of all, I don't like watching myself on video for some reason. So this is great because I won't ever see my face. Exactly. Um, But I also just, I don't know. I don't really, I don't know if I like my voice. I don't, I don't think people like listening to themselves back. Is that a thing? A hundred percent. I don't like it. I struggle to listen to the podcast back sometimes because I don't like hearing my voice. Great. So if I never (laughs) listen to this, that's the reason why. But here we are. That's Kevin's always like, have you, have you listened to that one back again? I'm like, I did the podcast. Why do I need to listen to it again? And he's like, you need to hear it. Because I hate my voice, but whatever. Really? I'm getting better at hearing it. Like, it's getting more regular, more. It gets less and less annoying with time. 
Maybe or just you get like I've, more and more dull. Yeah, to your maybe. own voice. I don't know. I'm like whatever. That's my my dumb voice. <laughs> whatever. Um, oh, should we apologize for? I so no. I'm not apologizing for anything. You guys got some good freaking podcasts last week. If you were able to manage a volume good. button, which I'm yeah. pretty sure 99 percent like of people hard. can. You know, you're right. Don't apologize. No, it was amazing. <laughs> it was a complete error. Not, it wasn't even my fault. I was so pissed when I was trying to put that stupid thing together. Hey, it was no one's fault, and it really no. was good. It was good. You gave it a good disclaimer good. too. It was like you find a room where it's quiet and do that stuff. I still listen to you guys in the car on my way down and yeah. back from work. And I could still hear you just. Oh, like good. Even with the oh, talk, good. So that's fine. I, I, I listened to it too. It wasn't horrible, but yeah. it was. Not I, I good only quality. listened to part of it because you, you're like, yeah. you guys, should we play? You know, when you ask Kevin, should I, we even post we it? Because I was it. worried about it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's fine. Post it. Like it was some. Oh my gosh, that's so much good information. That was awesome. So I'm like, you have to post this. I'm sorry. So if you haven't heard our last episode with Sexy Mike, check it out. If you are super annoyed by volume buttons. <laughs> Go ahead and check out the earlier Sexy Mike episode. From, it's like episode four or five or something. It's also really, really good. Those, I've gotten tons and tons and tons of feedback from clients, from people. Just like, there, there is stuff that you can do in your relationship that you have no idea you can do that helps immensely. Because they're just things you just don't intuitively know how to do. And anyway, so there's a lot of that good stuff in there. Oh, it was cool. Kevin listened to the whole thing and he was like, I, there was some really good stuff in there. Like yeah, I loved it. It yeah. I felt like I learned a lot, and which I always do when we talk to Mike. So I love it. But yeah. anyways, some real gems. I'm excited to hear Corey's story. What do you want to know? Well, we got to start from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Where were you back. born? <laughs> what is your? I want to. I want to know where were you born? Where like your family? Like you know, mom, dad, brothers, sisters. I know you guys know me. You know. You know. The older 20s into the 30s, Corey. You don't really know all of me, I guess, right? No. Um, I am from Southern California. So I was born in Pomona, California. Um, as a wee, like, I think I was like a nine-pound baby. I was huge as a baby. I was like, if you, you said see- we, and then you're like, I was huge. Yeah, I know. I a lied. wee lad. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. I, I'll embellish a lot. So Embellish away. Just, you Pomona, know. man. I grew up, I'm San Diego, born, okay. so I know the yeah, Pomona yeah. area. Yeah, yeah. yeah Pomona's more south. I'm from mm-hmm. Burbank. Is, yeah, it's hot. It's like it's inland. California. There's no seasons, so it's yeah. just warm the whole way through. <sighs> yeah, Pomona's pretty. Yes it's a pretty nice cool. place. I knew some girls from Pomona when I was a kid. Oh, sure you did. <laughs> I did. They were they were nice girls. <laughs> I bet they were. <laughs> they were nice girls. Anyways, Kay. continue. Um, so Sorry. born in Pomona, I was raised in a podunk town called Apple Valley, California, which sounds grand and green and lush. It's a desert, so it's dirty and it's gross and it's ghetto. And I think the crime rate was like w- one of the worst in the, at least the state. I wouldn't be surprised if it was the, the capital. Really? It's next to Victorville, if you know where that is. I know exactly where Victorville is. We the, stop there to eat all the time. And like Lystern <laughs> Valley is right next yeah, to that. It's the high too. desert. Yeah. It's the high desert. Yeah. Lystern Valley, Lystern Valley, Lystern Valley is like the crack, a crystal meth really? capital of California or something like that. So I've been told. I mean, it's not grand, so I trust it. <laughs> Whatever anonymous source I got it from. <laughs> um, but that's where I ra- was raised, so I'm hardcore. Um, not really. but <laughs> um, So I grew up there my whole life. So I was, um, when I was about, I think, third grade, we moved up to the high desert in California. 
Um, and my parents blame my allergies for that. But I've lived in Utah for nine years, and I don't have out issues with allergies, so I don't know what they're talking about. Seriously, um, so a lot of people that live here have mm-hmm. allergies. Yeah, and I don't. I I get them occasionally. I have the seasonal ones right when the super bloom starts happening and stuff like that. So I'll get that. But other than that, it's that's about it. Um, so grew up there. I graduated high school from there. Um, I served in LDS mission. Where'd you go? Um, I went to Texas, and I spoke Spanish-speaking. Don't ask me to speak Spanish now, because it doesn't happen. Really? And my knowledge of it, like, like my understanding of it is also now very limited, because I just never used it. Um, Texas, everyone in Texas was trying to learn English, so it was the opposite. It was, like, me trying to teach them um, English while listening to Tex-Mex, I guess. So um, we got things like Somos 1 o'clock in the afternoon and stuff like that. So it was just really different um so that's where i started my mission came back and then that's a very abbreviated version there's a lot to go on in there so we can talk about that stuff too um your parents parents married um my dad has passed away but my parents have always been married so okay how many kids are in your family i have two siblings i have an older brother who's five years older than me and i have a younger sister who's 19 months apart from me and she and i are the closest relationship in my family that's awesome so, how do you get to Utah? Ooh, good question. So, m- I think most everyone up here in at least Utah and f- definitely California has heard of In-N-Out Burger. I started when I was 16 in good old Hesperia, California, right next to Victorville, that trifecta right there. Um, worked my way through that. Then I went on my mission, came back, had no intention of going back to In-N-Out because I was like, I'm an adult now. I don't need to do that job (laughs) and I need to figure out school. And so I was looking at Utah for school. I actually thought about BYU at first. Didn't feel right for some reason, um, but I still wanted to come up. My brother at the time was living up here in Saratoga Springs, which was just a brand new neighborhood up here. So it was just developing um, and now it's ginormous over here. Um, but uh, went toward UVU and decided that's where I need to go to school. I need to figure out how to make that happen. So came back, was working, and was going to quit in and out and make that transition. And then my boss at the time told me he had just been promoted to a store manager up in Utah, a store that hasn't been announced yet and was about to How random. So super random and a super good connection because it allowed me to, one, transfer with a job, um, work with that job full-time through school as well as put me through school at the same time. So I feel really That's fortunate about awesome. that. <laughs> That's it just lucked out really easily for me. I had a great job that sustained me through school. I didn't have to think about that. They helped me get into housing when I got up here as well. Um, I did this thing called all Starring, which was just I helped open the stores when they opened up. So almost every store up here you helped. I helped open. Yeah, there's only a handful of them I didn't. So okay, we're gonna, we're gonna digress because that's my favorite thing. <laughs> so I've heard that there's like all sorts of like. So we know about the secret menu, like oh, do you animal style? Oh, okay. but there's like the so, not so secret secret menu. Yeah, the secret secret menu, right? Yeah, like that yes. nobody knows about. Yeah, but that everyone I've, knows about. I've heard that there's like more, but I asked about <laughs> this, and this may be a sensitive subject. We might be crossing into <laughs> classified information, but I'm okay with that. 
I, like there's a, like a whole nother secret menu. What do you what are you saying? What do you what do you think you? What I do heard you think of it's a, I heard of a burger called Monkey Style. No, Is this that's a false. Thing? I hate that. Like that's okay. the worst rumor in the world. Okay, Please don't okay. ever come and order it's that. It's a terrible name. Just so you it, know. it really is. And so I know what, what it is. It's where they stick fries inside your burger. Right. Uh, that's what. That's the formulation. Why would you want us to do that in the first place? True because story. it's delicious. Because yes, no. I do that to my burger. Okay. Anyways. You can but do, do that. You but need me to do that, and do you need us to charge you to do it? Service. And no, because. If they do it, <laughs> then they're you soggy. It. And that's true. No Truth. one wants that. I, I have no idea. That burger rests for a minute when it gets to the fried table, and it's intentional to rest there. Mm. We're getting the little nitty gritties of in and out because I've Ooh. worked there for it's 11 plus years. And so that burger has to rest after it comes off the grill. So it hits the bun where all the condiments are and stuff like that that you want on that burger. It gets wrapped. It comes over the fry table. It purposely sits for a minute so that you can get that French fry where it's piping hot so that you have a rested burger that's juicy and that bun has soaked in that juice a little bit more so that it stays a little bit fresh. So wow. There's a whole science behind it. I, oh, I don't doubt it. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've ever had my burger taste different. In-N-Out is the most consistent. Besides McDonald's. McDonald's is the most consistent place I've ever been in my entire life. Because it's yeah. disgusting. It's machines and it's it meant is to not pump disgusting. things out. McDonald's tastes like ass. <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's is pretty gross. Um, I, actually I am really not like, beneath McDonald's. Let me just tell you that now. Yeah. I will go. I like their but fries. I, I love that this their is fries are into delicious. The, <laughs> this is turning into the fast food podcast. <laughs> 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 but no. Okay, so is there another like other other secret things in and out that you can order or no? I would say there's nothing that's not re- that's not available yeah, to the public. If you really wanted to know about, it, you can know about it. It's like the four by four, right? The yeah, yeah. You cheese. can have as that's many patties not, as you want. Yeah. That's not true. You can have up Five. to four patties, four now, and six pieces of cheese. So you mm. can have a four by six, and then you can have a heart attack, which is a heart attack <laughs> wrapped up for you. And I mean, I'm I'm package. all about fat, but that's a lot. That's a of lot fat. of cheese. I feel like that's a meat. challenge. It's yes. gross. Don't do it. Oh, I I did. I've, I I like the double double protein style. Yeah, I do the three by three. That's I what like, I get every time I go there. I like the protein style, but sometimes it's just a little bit too wet and messy. Yeah, so I you agree. You have to have a good. We call them board people. The person that like makes the burger, right? Makes the condiments. There's a cook that cooks the meat, um, and puts the butt top on. Stuff totally like agree. That. And the you have to have grilled onions. Has to be really good and know that 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 lettuce thing like leaf needs to be a little bit patted down. So if you get a good board person, then it's a great burger. But if not, it's just way. Wow, this becomes is very a solid. I'm, I'm like, I just ate before I came and I'm kind <laughs> of hungry. Salivating. Do we just want to go take this podcast? <laughs> we should have recorded there. Like, dang it. I'll just show you everything that I do there. Um, and That's we'll just go from there. Okay, the best so, thing there. Hold on. One no. more thing. I'm <laughs> sorry. Stop talking about food. You're making me hungry. I'm sorry. But I just have to share with people. Did you guys know that you can get a Neapolitan shake and it's the greatest thing ever? Yes. Yeah. Oh, if you don't know about Neapolitan shake, you should my go kids get love one. It. Did you know you can specify the order of the shake flavor? Yes, I did know this. Amazing. Okay. Did you know you can get chocolate first? Yeah. At some places, they're really nice and they'll let you get it in extra large freaking shake. <laughs> um, you can pay for it. Yeah, you pay. Up it's a large for it. drink and it's 32 ounces shake and it's disgusting. I well, might as well have eaten your whole calories for the month. That would destroy okay, my I'm stomach. Sorry. No more in and out talk. The issues that I you're going to have digestively. I cannot do dairy. Bethany, oh, you would die. I would die. I would not want to be ask anywhere me, near you. Just no. ask me about the time one time I went to Del, uh, not Del Taco, it was Jack in the Box, and we did like a 100 taco challenge in the car home, and I thought a shake was a great thing to do on the way home to wash it down. Terrible it decision. It was the worst thing I've ever done in my life. My so kids always, ask me that if off, I'm off ever getting ice cream and we're, we're like on a road trip or something, they're yeah. like, no, mom can't have ice cream, and my kids, true, mom can't have ice cream. No. <laughs> That's so sad. Okay, go ahead, change the subject. Kay. I'm sorry. I promise. <laughs> Like bring a up food serious twice more. Sorry. In and out ramp, but that was kind of <laughs> that was kind of fun. 
Um, okay. What do you, so you graduate from UVU. I did. I got a degree. What was in, your degree in? Uh, behavioral science. So my bachelor's degree is in behavioral science. I emphasized in psychology. That's a big mouthful. For, Boom. Uh, Best degree. degree ever. I did. I <laughs> loved it. But I, what I really liked about UVU was it's super hands-on. That school is super This is what drawn me over to UVU. So if you're thinking about school, BYU is very, I think, logical. They practical with books and stuff like that. And I think those people are amazing and smart. And I think more power to you if you can do that. I'm hands on That was a I liked it. I liked it. It is now. We're making it a word. I'm hands on and I need to be able to do things practically. I need to see it in real life and do those things. And so my degree incorporated me going to therapy for myself, having to do that work too, because how can you, how can you put someone in a chair if you're not willing to If you've never done it. So what was that like? Crazy and scary as hell. Um, and that's, it's not you know, that bad. and like when I yeah, was in school, I don't think I really had too much. I don't, I don't think I really had anything that I was really like, and I guess I'm still that way. I don't, I'm very open about things. So you can ask me anything and I'll answer it. Um, so I didn't think I really had that big of a deal with it. I didn't have a hard time opening up, I guess. Um, so you're you like, this will be easy. Yeah. I can go to therapy and no big deal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were things like, like the, the tasks and stuff like that, the modals and stuff like that, that were difficult to grasp a little bit, but it was super nice to see it in practice when you had a therapist that actually knew what they were doing, do that for you. Um, and then they flipped it. You got to then be in the chair and help along with those things and not necessarily be the therapist, but just assist the, th- the therapist a little bit as well. So that was really cool. It's awesome. Did so you learn a lot about yourself? I did. I think, I think that's, so I was always, uh, so when I first, fun fact, when I first came up to UVU uh, for school, I thought, dance is fun. I'm going to be a dance major. And I did ballroom for a little bit, and I really loved ballroom dancing, and that was back when I was not as big as I am. Um, I can still move around the ballroom if I need to. You could it's, move around oh, the ballroom. I, I, <laughs> I've seen you. Um, okay, thanks. <laughs> um, impressive. But it was quickly after that, I was like, oh, I think I really like medicine, so I'm going to go pre-med for a little bit. So I went pre-med, and then I had to fill some elective spaces, and so I didn't know what to fill those with, and I was like, I'm a super science nerd, so I'm going to fill it with like psychology classes. And I took my first psychology class, and I fell in love with it, and I was like, crap. Now I need to figure out how to incorporate this into pre-med. Always thinking pre-med medicine was where I would go. And then I realized, uh, if I go psychology route, that means psychologist, uh, psychiatrist, sorry. And that means I'm not necessarily helping people with talk therapy or sitting on the couch with them. I'm going into doctor's offices um, for 10, 15 minutes and prescribing antidepressants or medicines of that nature. And I'm like, "Ah, that's not what I want to do. That's not how I want to help people. Um, And so it was really quick after that. It was like, the psychology is the route, and I've gone all the way through that since then. So it was just really easy. What What did point. your parents do, like, job wise? My dad um, worked for the government. He was a um, he worked for a company called Aerojet that got turned into um, Northrop Grumman's, um, and they worked on like plane parts and stuff like that. So he was a really smart with that. He never went to school or anything like that. So I was the first college degree in my family. Really? And still this st- only standing college degree in my family. And I will say it's not necessarily <laughs> something to teach your horn about. You don't need <laughs> the paper to tell you you're smart or to go do what you want to do. But um, I That's was... That's impressive though. I like, was very hard pressed to get that When degree. you were talking about like pre-med and stuff, I just, I guess in my mind I was thinking, oh, I bet your parents were into that. Because typically that's not... No, Something and my mom worked for JCPenney's, so 
Uh, my mom always just worked just to have a hobby, I guess, to get out of the house a little bit when we were older. Um, and that became like the fun family money and stuff like that. So it was fun to go do the stuff like that when oh, she did that awesome. stuff. Oh, that's awesome. So that was my family. I mean, my dad was very smart. So he was an engineer for a, a government agency that. He was he an engineer a without for. a degree. Yeah, like, exactly. that's pretty like, impressive. And he managed a bunch of engineers. So it was like he was in charge of a bunch of people. So that's a. That were you close to your parents? Um, super close to my dad. My mom and I have a, I, I say we have a strained relationship, but I don't think she thinks we have a strained relationship, but we have a, I have a strained relationship. I've always got What makes you dad. think it's strange? Oh. Strained, right? Strained. Oh, strained. What yeah. makes you think it's strange? Um, I thought you said so, strange. I don't know if you know this by looking at my skin or looking at me, I'm half Asian. So my mom is from Vietnam. She was adopted at a young age, and she came over to the States and stuff like that. So um, she is very hard-ridden to make sure that we get what she feels she didn't get in her upbringing. Um, and she's told me that before, so I, I get that that's where she's coming from. So she wants what's best for us, and so she'll she's always pushed us to do that. So in high school or in grade school, um, anything less than an A wasn't acceptable. So <laughs> Very, like perfectionism yeah. stuff, like pushing yeah, yeah. you to drive. And, Which, yeah. you know, and for the longest time that drove the, mental, uh, you know, my mentality of, okay, I have to get straight A's in college. I have to do all these things. Right. I, have to, I have to excel at my job. I have to do all these things, which is great. Like, it really pushed me to be the best I could, and I loved that aspect of it. Oh, yeah. But there's also, there was no room for failure, and I learned very quickly that that is a big part of life. And if you're not willing to fail, you're not willing to succeed either. And so it's just really. And um, then if you're failing, you don't want your mom to know because right, you realize right, that right. could cause because some problems. It's going to create the, it's going to create the fight that I'm trying to avoid in the first place. So um, there's a lot of shame yeah. around like <laughs> failure and, mm-hmm. and maybe even like being authentic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, which, you know, leads to a lot of other things that we'll talk about, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, so that was, I think that's probably where I was introduced to shame. And I'll quote Brene Brown all day, too, so I love Boom. her. Yes. Um, I actually think I have, like, all my favorite so quotes. So was your dad the same go. way, or is he more like the mellow and no, calming this is why voice? My, okay, so my dad and I have okay. the, I think, um, I think I have a very solid relationship with my dad. Um, and my dad's passed away, so if I refer to him in the past tense, that's the reason why. It's because he's no longer present here on Earth. But... Um, so he and I have always had a really good relationship, and he's the person that I knew I could always go talk to about heavy things and not feel, I guess, ju- well, judge isn't a, bad, isn't a good word for that. He would understand where I was coming from and offer insight from there. Um, so it wasn't necessarily, he wasn't, he was, there was some judgment sometimes. He's my dad, so he's going to want to do what's best for, for me, obviously. So, but it was always under the place where, he just wanted to make sure that I felt loved still um, before I he gave any counsel and stuff like that. So me and him have always had a good, solid relationship. And I think because of that, we I get my sense of humor from my dad. So like that's where I think we get along well, too, is we just you know how to make them. light of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not always that big of a deal. So when mom's saying, you need to get the straight A um, streak or else like you're grounded, dad's like... 
we'll still go to Disneyland at the end of the, <laughs> at, the, end of the at the end of the semester. Yeah. It's gonna happen. It's just you know your mom's like your mom <laughs> wants what's best for you, so just do your best. And if that's your best, then she's not gonna be mad at the end of the day. I was like, but yes, she is. <laughs> <laughs> How long ago did your dad pass away? Oh, I think it's been. I want to say it's. I'm probably gonna get it wrong, but I want to say it's been. Four years, maybe oh, so it's been five. Recently, mm-hmm. wow. um, from cancer. I'm sorry, man. So, that's hard. Yeah, it sucked, and it was. It was. I think harder for. I don't know. I always. I didn't have a hard time with it at the time. I had a harder time with it after I got home, and the reason why is I think that I got to step up to the plate of stepping into my dad's shoes a little bit and taking care of the family, as in my mom is still recovering from all that stuff, is still having a hard time, um, is still trying to make sense of things. Um, And she's got a really good support group at home. Her friends love her and stuff like that, so they really take good care of her. Um, And my sister, she's also, uh, she she loves my dad just as much as we all do. We all love our dad, so. Um, But she just, I think she also had a really difficult time. Um, And she, it happened around her birthday, so my dad passed, like, a couple days after my my sister's birthday. So... Uh. She lived through that, which is supposed to be a happy time of her life, right? And she had to deal with, I'm supposed to be happy right now. Well, how can I be happy when my dad's passing away literally this week? Um, and we didn't know when it was going to happen. We just knew it was going to happen. So I guess, do you want to hear that story? I guess, do you want me to go into that? Yeah, yeah. I'll just I'll ask a couple of questions <clears throat> just to kind of help guide you, I think. Yeah. So he, how long did he fight cancer for? Um, he did not have a, a long battle. It was pretty quick. So he, this, uh, here's... The timeline, I guess, the synopsis of how fast it went. He, it was very aggressive. Um, and so we have cancer in the family history. My grandma on my dad's side had brain cancer, and that's how she passed away. And so we had always learned that cancer skips a generation. So we weren't worried about my dad. We were worried about me and my right. sister and my brother. And so we were getting, you know, we were taking proaction and doing that stuff. Um, but my dad didn't really think about that stuff. That's total false and bullshit. So <laughs> let me yeah. tell you, if cancer's in the family, everyone should be a little bit concerned mm-hmm. about that um, and take proactive measures about that stuff. So you're in charge of your own health and make sure that you're healthy. What kind of cancer sure. was it? Um, so he started with, I'm probably going to get this wrong because I always do. I think it was in the kidney. He, um, he, he went to work one day. He... Um, wasn't feeling good and he went to the bathroom and was peeing blood so he went to the nurse's station where he works and the nurse was like oh well that's weird let's send you to the doctor they sent him to the doctor the doctor wanted to do an MRI which was abnormal for what he thought was just him passing a gallstone or something like that um, which is what the nurse thought it was as well and so they did the MRI just to be safe and they found cancer and so they decided and they, they found out it was a stage I think oh I think it was three or four. It was pretty aggressive at that point, which was crazy that it just started manifesting with that being. Yeah. And so it was already just attacking him. And so they decided to aggressively just start treating it with it is. uh, It's not radiation It's chemo. Chemo. So they did chemo on his body and then decided to do a full body scan after that. And then they found that he had cancer in his brain. So you can't do chemo to attack the brain. Um, because that's going to kill the brain cells, you have to do radiation. And so when you're doing one, you can't do the other. So it was stop and go for kidney cancer or brain cancer. So which is the worst? So they attacked the brain, but then 
the, the kidney kidneys kidney that going yeah, everywhere. Really. So it was just an ongoing battle for him the whole time. And at that point, he was a little bit. I think he was just tired of having to go back and forth, and the drugs were just. I mean, the drugs itself sucks. So oh, they're so. You awful. could just watch. You watch the drugs just drain drain the life out of people. Like whether or not they're going to survive that, it just it's draining. It takes years off your life. Well, regardless. they because they literally are killing you mm-hmm. because they're killing the cancer. So it's yeah, killing they have this to kill body. the cancer cells, which is part of who you you know part it's of part your of body, you. mm-hmm. and so it's killing you. Um, and they're trying to do that in a way where it's not going to. Totally destroy you and yeah. kill you. But a way where you can survive out. after mm-hmm. they get kill that part of you. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and so the hard part for me was I was in school, and at the end of my um, college run of things, and I was trying to wrap up and do those things, and I couldn't get home on a regular basis. My sister, who was living up here at the time at that point, too, was more readily able to get down there, and so she was there for a lot of that cancer treatment and stuff like that. So I never actually saw my dad battle battle. Um, my sister did, and I think that's why she has a hard time with that still, is because she was actually in the trenches when all that crap was going on. Yeah. And I had just the the knowledge it was happening and the suckiness that I couldn't get down there to be there. You're uh, more, like, remote. Yeah. And, like, helpless, maybe, and she was yeah, more involved bit. and still helpless. Yeah, and so there's a lot of, like, I guess guilt wrapped up there and not just being able to get down there and see him and do those things. Um, he called... One day, it was right after finals. I had just, I think, taken my last final, and I was going into work at In-N-Out. And my dad called. He never calls. He always just texts and leaves, like, a little message and stuff like that. And that's how we always communicated. We only called each other when something big was happening. So it was like, if my dad's calling, drop drop everything, pick up that damn phone. Um, And so he called, and he said, hey. And I was like, what's going on? And he said, you need to go get your sister and get down here tonight. You need to be down here tonight. California from here is an eight-hour drive for where my mom and dad live. So it was like, okay, well, what's going on? He's like, I just need to be down here. I said, okay, let me go call Amanda, and I'll go get her, and I'll pick her up. So hung up the phone, answered my sister, answered the phone. She's like, dad already called me. I already got my backpack. Let's go. Rushed up to Eagle Mountain, picked up my sister, and then drove through the night to get down there. Um, and we had... That was the week my dad passed away. So we he had known he was done. I think he had known he was done kind of fighting his battle. And he was kind of tired of it. And no one blames him for that because it was just so aggressive. Um, it, but we got down there. We had two good days with him where we got to talk and um, do things. And then he went lucid. He couldn't talk or he was in pain. Hospice came in. And then a day later, he passed away. So it was kind of crazy. It's fast. Yeah. So... <clears throat> and something that's always stuck in my head is just my mom losing it at the very end of it, rightfully so, um, and just didn't want to, like, leave his side and do those things. And so that always, like, sticks in my head with that stuff. But um, And so I don't think I really had time to cry or do any of those things in the moment because it was very quick, like, let's get him off to where he needs to be so he can get prepped and be ready for... Um, burial and all that stuff and just to, you know, kind of honor that part of his life um, and do those things. And it was just a flurry of people in and out of the house and stuff like that and just trying to be cordial and do those things. And I actually remember laughing a lot during that time. I think I had some really good friends show up for us, Um, family friends and just personal friends as well show up um, at all hours of the day and night and just were kind of there when you needed them. But we also get those little... 
oh, he's in a better place, or, <laughs> which are always well meant and like never, like I never felt like you're just a, oh, you're a nice jerk for saying that. Or I thought people suck for saying that. <laughs> um, retrospectively, I do. I think, I think well, it's just angry. because you just, uh, yeah, I was angry. I think I, you know, I went through the grief stages a little bit later than everyone else started processing them through, mostly because I just felt like I didn't have the time to do it. Um, and I didn't do that till I got back to Utah where I could do that privately because yeah. I had never done that in front of the family or anybody like well, that. The, and you kind of grew up in a home where, where you got to show up pretty yeah. perfectionistic mm-hmm. and yeah. breaking down doesn't fit the mold. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. And I mean, that's, I and, mean, and maybe it's not maybe, to shoulder anything off on my mom or anything like that. That's no. just how, that's how I grew up. And, and it's not I necessarily what my mom was trying to do. It yeah. was just how I perceived it. Right. It's my perceptions of how, that would for sure. I, th- I so. think also that's that was like how it was. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like because yeah. like you said, that's how your family was. That's how mine. I think it was kind of a generational. I think thing. it's a generational. For thing. sure. Yeah, that's how that's how they were taught. I mean, it's no one's fault. We're just all learning as we go. Mm-hmm. You know. Agreed. Yeah, and I, there's no blame there. It's just you know, um, that's how it was, and that's how I felt like it needed to be. So I didn't get to do that stuff. I, I say I didn't, and I'm using air quotations. You can't see me, but I'm doing. That. <laughs> um, I use those as in. Like, I just didn't have the time. And I really honestly don't think I had the time when I was there because it was take care of mom, take care of sister, take care right. of my brother, who he's a whole nother story um, and a piece of grief for our family. Um, he's fun. That's a fun story. Um, but uh, he was there, which was surprising to us because he's always kind of cast himself as a black sheep. Um, but he showed up for that. So, I mean, it shows that he still does care about his family and do those things. But he's off on his own doing most of the things. But um, so really it was like, oh, you're the paternal figure of the family now. Mm-hmm. Be the paternal figure of the family. Um, which so your brother wasn't assigned your brother to me. Didn't it was feel just that? assumed. Because your brother is the oldest, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my so brother exited very early in my life. Um, I still have communication with him, but it's not great. Um, he was, so he's five years older than I am. He, when I was 12, he got married to his girlfriend who he had gotten pregnant beforehand. Um, and he, we're LDS. We, we grew up LDS. Um, none of so the, it was like a, none of the siblings are now LDS. We've all kind of branched off and done our things. Um, I, and we'll get into that for me. I Matt guess. doesn't, Matt doesn't know what it's like to what? get Dude. pregnant in a religious no, culture. <laughs> No, I didn't. No pressure, right? <laughs> um, no, that, uh, I, I can imagine what he went through. but It I, was handled poorly yeah. on all ends. My brother um, owning up to it. Same. My yep. uh, my mom handling it with her reactions. My yep. dad as well. My dad wasn't innocent in that too. Um, and then just the shame that came for the family as a whole not for the perception of what that's going to be for in our religion, like oh, there's just this horrible. gigantic stigma. Yeah, that if you have sex before you're married, you're a horrible person. It, it's ba- it's not just bad, but you're bad. Yeah. It's it's next to murder. Yeah, yeah, in yeah, yeah. sins. Yeah, well, as far right. as far as and, and, the, and the religion goes, and so it's get married or give the baby up for adoption. You know, that's kind of how it works, and it's mm-hmm. hard. It's hard to sift through that because that's what. The culture dictates, that's what the, well, not just really the culture, but the standards and the essentially doctrine, if you can call it that, because it's more like the rules and structure. Handbook. Handbook, which is hard to differentiate between doctrine. I don't know where that ends and begins. 
But I can imagine what that was like for your family as well, him coming in. I think in my situation, it was the shock. It was the surprise of this thing that happened that everybody is like, you can't do this. And you're like, well... I did. It, it happened. And they're like, no, what's wrong with you? Well, and you're like, well, exactly. I got horny. I'm a horny teenager. Put the stigma of being more men and going on a mission right. at that same time frame. And there's a whole mess for disaster. So, um, and I was 12 turning 13, I believe. And so, so I'm, you're young. I'm at this wedding as yeah. a, you know, like groomsmen, not knowing what a groomsman is at that time, <laughs> um, walking down the aisle with this 20 something year old maid of honor or something like that, or thinking this is supposed to be a fun time. Why does this not feel like it's fun? Like, why doesn't this feel like a celebration? Um, because no one was happy um, on either side. I think, aside from my brother and my sister in law, um, we're happy about that moment because of the circumstances. And I think even they understood that there's like a lot of stigma involved in that. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's where I'm like, okay, well this is, this was handled poorly. And this is where I look back with, you know, my degree or just with perspective on the time frame and thinking our family could have really used some therapy, <laughs> um, could have really used some time where we just had a solid person that we were able to talk to, um, do those things. And I don't remember, aside from my dad, having a person that I felt comfortable. And I would even say I wouldn't, I didn't even think I trusted my dad fully to just tell him what I f- felt fully without feeling some sort of fear of, of retaliation. And so that's where I'm like, oh, this is where this is where the Holton mess begins for us sometimes. Um, what do you mean by that? Um, just how things transpired later down for my sister um, and then now what I'm going to go through as well. So um, so my brother... What, so, I mean, you can say what you're going through whenever you want. You can save it for <laughs> later or now or whatever. But I think... Whenever. Uh, I think the thing, the thing you're talking about is the stigma of perfectionism... Mm-hmm. And what you're supposed to be creates a barrier in families that basically impede people from connecting, being vulnerable, and using each other as support Yeah, within your family unit. Where it should be the strongest, right? Right. It's, where it's the perception should be, that's where it's supposed to be the most functional. So you, so you, learned, you saw that at 12. I was say, yeah. So you learned from this experience yeah. with your brother, okay, this was all handled poorly, look how badly he was treated. How, so I'm never telling them anything. Right? Like, yeah. that's how I'd feel. I'd be yeah, like, well, sure. if I mess up, you guys are not going to know. Yeah. And then the siblings learned real fast that if we ratted each other out, there was less replications for us later down the road if we did something stupid. Mm. So we learned very quickly that if I sabotage Corey, me, if yeah. my sister sabotages me, she gets out of whatever she was in trouble for. Right. Um, so we always held something against each other. So like this infighting thing. Yeah. <laughs> where I'm like, which oh, I think sucks. is sometimes sibling rivalry, right? Like yeah. we want yeah, the TV. Sure. So mom, Corey hit me. Right. Um, Corey, go to your room. And then she gets the TV for the hour, right? right. So it's like, um, we, we all, I think grew up with that a little bit, but like, sure. it was a little bit more than that sometimes. Cause it was like, shit was going down. <laughs> right. So it was from like 12 yeah. on. And so a lot of that was for me, I, I look back at the stigma where, um, uh, I look back at that. I go, okay, girls are bad. Don't get girls pregnant. If you date a girl or if you're dating girls, girls are 
will get pregnant. <laughs> and that's how it was. I'm 12. So this is like the formulation. 12-year-old brain. It makes perfect Didn't sense. Didn't have anyone to talk about it to. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just like, don't hang out with girls. And you won't get pregnant. You won't have my brother's issues. Or the problems that my brother is going through, which are huge. And I see that on a daily basis. And I don't think... I think my parents just didn't realize that children hear and see everything, regardless of whether or not they think they aren't. Um, it's just there. Um, and so there were nights where it was like they kicked my brother out of the house because he was being a deviant or whatever. Um, he didn't make it in by curfew, so they locked the doors and didn't let him in. He's the guinea pig child, right? He's the first child, so they don't know how to deal with this stuff, and I get that. Um, and so, like, then my brother is mm-hmm. banging on the sliding door in the back door. And my parents are like, if you let him in, you're in just as much trouble. And so, broken windows, all sorts of stuff like that. So, it was just... It's uh, hard, man. Fuck fast. Yeah. <laughs> that's really what it came as down to. As a young to. kid, that's tough to yeah. manage. And so, I grew up with the harder limitations of, like, you're the second child. So, you're the middle. I'm the middle child. So, I think I got... Right. I think middle children get the worst of it. Um, I agree. I think older children get child? the worst of it. I'm a I middle think, child. I'm just kidding. I'm I, the oldest. The I, oldest. Have to say that. <laughs> I disagree because I think I think you have it hard because you guys get severe punishments pretty quickly, but then the parents kind of realize, oh, we need to lessen up on that a little bit more. Um, or like, then you figure out the loophole because you're the older kid, and so you can figure out the loopholes. I think we just can agree on one thing. <laughs> The babies get it the best. That's true. A hundred percent. And I still look at my sister and go, you had it easy. Yeah, they got it made. But that's how, isn't that every family? Like, Oh, for sure. Even my youngest brother, who he didn't have it easy, but compared to the rest of us, he did. Oh, yeah. I think if you're because parents just get tired. Gender too, you also get a little bit easier. Oh, yeah. They baby you a little bit. More I look at my the only one. My kids, and yeah, I'm not even that old, and I'm like, eh, I'm too tired to care about that. Yeah, and that's not to disregard. <laughs> love you, Amanda. Um, but you had it easy, <laughs> and you're welcome. I love it. Um, so I went through all high school with. I had friends that were girls and stuff like that, and I had a lot of guy friends as well. But I never dated anyone. I didn't think that was the time to do it. And I was like, I got to get on this mission. I got to I gotta restore the family. So name. you weren't interested in dating anybody? Nope, not at all. And so it didn't really factor in. I think it really confused a lot of girls. Here's the disclaimer, too. I'm gay, so that... But did you know that in high no, school? No, I didn't. I didn't really correlate that. I, I definitely knew that I thought differently about girls than my guy friends did. They were super attracted to their boobs and development and all that stuff and I was not interested in that stuff. Yeah. Um, but that's all you knew. You're like, oh, yeah. I'm not really attracted to him, but but you didn't recognize but I'm attracted to men. Yeah, I didn't really I I liked like muscly dudes because I thought, oh, that's what I want to look like, right? And I think a lot of gay men kind of go through that. Like it's like a lot of straight men do too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like I'm just like I look at a buff guy and I'm like, oh, he's ripped out of his mind. Like that would be cool. I'd like that. Yeah. But not necessarily as an attraction kind of thing. I think it formulated a little bit later um, down the road, even after my mission. I, I was going to say, do you know when that mm-hmm. actually, when you started to realize like, huh? I had a real come to Jesus moment last year, which is when I came out, um, where it was just like, okay, this is a thing. This is prevalent where if this isn't going away, like how do I move forward with that? And that's when I came out was yeah. I got that confirmation of this is how you were made. There's nothing wrong with you. Have you ever dated before this come to Jesus moment? Have you ever dated women or men? 
I dated women exclusively before I came out. I'm dating men now. Um, what was that like? Was it more just a friendship? Switch? Or was when, when you're dating women? I never understood how guys got to the point where they wanted to be intimate with a girl because okay. I never felt that connection. I was really good friends with these girls. Um, and I hope that that doesn't harbor any resentment for them. Um, and I had kissed just a handful of the girls. That like I you dated. loved them, but in a friendship. I don't even think you... it was a love. I think it was just an admiration. So I wouldn't say love. I mean, I like I, I love my friends. Right? Yeah. So yeah. Like that, but you never but like, like fell an, in love with yeah, a girl. I didn't feel an intimate connection. Yeah, the infatuation. Which is, right, yeah, I never yeah. had that. In fact, it felt super forced a lot of times. The last person I tried dating um, before I was like, I'm just not going to date anymore because this is not going to work, um, was it felt so forced. Like everything I was doing felt calculative. And like I had to like f- psych myself up before the date every single time. And I remember getting to the third date, which is like, here's my air bunny air quotations again where it's like this is where you kiss the girl right this is the this is what i was raised you know this is the raise um being raised this is what you do you kiss the girl on the third date um hugs are appropriate a kiss on the cheek or something like that before the third date but the kiss happens on the third date and so i remember it being the third date which i never got to third dates a lot because i didn't go on third dates on purpose purposely yeah, yeah. you didn't because well, i took it there um but i could tell she was like super into to me, which freaked me out um, because I was like, is this how fast it's supposed to happen and why am I not there? Um, and that was concerning to me. And so I was like, obviously I can attract a woman. <laughs> so like, how am I not feeling that infatuation yet? And so I got to that point where it was like, okay, I have to kiss this girl. And I did. And I was just like, immediately I was like, in my head I was like, nope. Nope. Nothing. Not for me. And so left I left that super confused. She texted me before I got home, and this is when I was living in Eagle Mountain, so I was coming to the box with you guys, mm-hmm. actually. Um, and she texted me before I got to the the exit of the freeway. I was in Provo, so I was coming to the exit to get up Pony. Um, I don't I don't know why I need this named streets. No one knows <laughs> streets. But <laughs> so I'm coming home, and um, like how fast that that text came was so fast to me because it was less than maybe 10 minutes, I think, of a drive. And I just remember reading that and like this gut-wrenching thing was, I'm going to have to break this girl's heart. So she was like, oh, that was was awesome. I'm like super, like the words were like, I'm falling for you. And I'm like, this is a third date. (laughs) Is this a thing? Like Utah culture is crazy. Um, Third date, you're like, like thinking like, okay, how, where's this going now? Yeah, what like, would our kids what? look like? Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, no, I can't, I can't do this. And so I had to, like, I had to like break that off. So I and I don't do things like that through text. I have to do those things in person. Good for you. I think you owe it to that Not person. A boy. Yes. Um, and so that was a difficult conversation. I remember having that, and like the whole premise of that too was like her sister and I were really good friends. Uh, we worked together, and she had set us up on this date. And I kind of went on the date thinking. Oh, well, it'll be fun. It won't be anything. And then two more days later, I was like, I'm going to break this girl's heart <laughs> and she's going to hate me. So forever. after this, you're thinking, I'm not dating anymore. I'm done. Like, this I is awful. I literally said, I'm done. I said, I just think I'm going to stay single because that. And I still think I was in the closet about that. Like, I was wrestling with my own stuff where it was like, I'm not even, I wasn't even acknowledging the thought that I could be attracted to men at that point. That was a good. Why? 
Have you have you even thought about that or done work on this? My mom had asked me about four times in my life. I can remember four distinct times where she's asked me if I was gay. Um, and I always deflected very quickly. No, I'm straight. I like women. Um, boobs are great. Or something like that. Oh, you know, I, like, I knew what to say. It's funny. My brother was just staying with me last weekend. And he was. we were talking about this, how you you hear other men talk. And so you know what to say. Yeah, right. You know how to... <laughs> To act that part, right? Yeah, and in, in my head, fun story, all my friends knew when I finally decided to come out. Like, there was no shock or surprise there. My mom was a little bit shocked because I had told her no four times, but, um, and I think she just took me at my word, but um, all, none of my friends were baffled by that when I finally came forward and were talking to them. Like, yeah, we knew. We just were waiting for you to be comfortable with it. Yeah. Which, my friends are great. I think, um, and I think, again, it's a generational thing, right? I think... Our generation, the generation I'm growing up with now is just a little bit more accepting of those things and just know that things aren't cut and dry like they were once cast as. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not as intimidating or scary to be gay or um, LGBTQ, any of that stuff. So it's just more more accepting, I guess. At what point did you actually recognize like, oh my gosh, I am attracted to men? Hmm. I don't know. (laughs) That's a hard, that's such a hard question. Like I well, think it's you so went from, hard to pinpoint. Uh, you know you're not attracted to women. So now where are you going? Well, what yeah, am I attracted to? I got to this point where I got um, what I thought was putting faces on. I thought I got really good at acting and putting things on, and then um, people that I'm close with, like my coworkers and stuff like that, they, they see me for eight hours a day. They could see through some of that stuff. They could see when I'm like having a bad day and stuff like that. And friends can do that too, right? Like you just know. Um, and so those became more frequent and I started realizing that too. I was like, why am I not as happy as everyone else is and what's going on with that? And why am I self-sabotaging myself where I would go have a great workout at the box uh, and then I would immediately go to Panda Express on my way home, um, and just order crap food. (laughs) One, because in my head I was like, you just burned all these calories. You, you can put it, it back in and you earned it. Yep. Um, and Neutral. Right. So it's yes, yes and no, right? Like it's treat yourself when you need to treat yourself and do those things, but like it's moderation. But it was more, um, it got to the point where I stopped going to the box more and more or I stopped going to the gym more and more and it was just, I'm just going to get my feelings kind of thing. Um, so it was just a lot of that stuff where it was like, uh, my body is telling me something my mind needs to catch up to it and it needs to figure it out because there's something going on and I need to just figure that out. Um, and so instead of, and I think Western medicine's a bad example of why these things happen is instead of trying to figure out what the root of the problem was to prevent it and, um, to take preventative measures towards it, I was trying to treat the symptoms as they came. So when I started gaining weight and I couldn't get it back off, I went to the doctor and I told the doctor, I can't lose this weight and I'm working out five times a day, which wasn't false, but I was also eating double the calories I needed to be eating because I was trying to soothe myself and tell my body that it was fine. And so that was where I was like, okay, that's a pivotal moment. I need to figure out what's going on with me and I need to do what I need to figure out what the root of that problem was. And so it was a lot of okay, I'll just start going back to church a little bit more. Like, I'll go to church and I'll be more active. So that's when I moved to Provo for a second time around. So at this point in your life, you don't know if you're gay and you're still active in the LDS religion. I think I just had a, I had a prevalent idea, the idea of what, it, what was going on. I was deflecting and avoiding it at all costs. Um, 
And so I was like, if I just immerse myself in the LDS religion more, um, things will sort themselves out, right? Because that's what we do. And pray, so, pray, pray, pray it away. Pray the K away. <laughs> it really, really what it was. And like, Turn as, it as off. sarcastic <laughs> as it sounds, like that's what it was, right? Yeah. I love that song, by the way. That's I, ho- I think too. it's hilarious. <laughs> Smash it. Um, but, um, <laughs> good segue. <laughs> I know. It's, we, it's like one of my favorite songs. My kids Constantly. sing it. It's terrible. Anyways, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry, everyone. I can um, myself. Segue. Um, so that's when I decided to move back to Provo, which is when I stopped going to the box because it was just a little bit too far away from you guys. Yeah. Um, which sucked. But I think it was a pivotal moment for me to figure out who I really was deep down and to figure out and face it. And there is a Brene, oh, I have to look it up because I'm going to forget it. I'm going to butcher it. There's a Brene Brown. Um, so I've always been like this person that's all about like being open and honest about things, except for this one the thing, deep, dark secret of being gay. Right. Like, yeah. so it was the one thing that people would like walk away from me, walk away from me for. And so I was like, okay, they can know mind. That's what you thought. Yeah. So they can know everything about me except for that. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. And that's still transparent. And I'm being what I need to be doing. I read this one time. It's Brene Brown. So uh, we all love Brene Brown. So (laughs) I have like a thing called Brene Brown nuggets that I put notes on, on my phone. Oh, I like that idea. And it's, it's all quotes from her. So, and there's not a bad quote on it. She doesn't ever say anything bad. So, um, this one was the one that like I read when I got back to Provo. So I preference. I got back to Provo. I went to college housing. Horrible idea. As a thirty year old adult, do not go back to college housing. Yeah. Because there's nineteen year olds. Like because my there's like, nineteen year olds that don't know what they're doing oh, and they're falling in like love left and right. Seventeen year olds there. Oh, it's horrible. I it's just want to get married. Uh, it's it's just garbage. Is yeah. really what it was. Yeah, that that would be um, hard. housing is hard in any college town. Yes. But I do it. add the LDS culture on top of that, that right. bubble, and Changes it's even things. worse because you yeah. see them 24-7. You go to church with them. You do all those things together. Yeah. Um, so I remember having that go down and just feeling shitty living there because I'm living on a twin mattress again. It's not – it's cheap as fuck, but it's not fun. It's not living. And I'm just like – I don't relate to any of these people. I have a degree. Why am I here? Why did I feel like I needed to be here? Like, why was it like the direction that I felt like my life needed to be in? Like the confirmation that I got from God um, and all that stuff. So it was like, how, why? What's the, what's the lesson I need to learn in Provo the second time around that I clearly didn't learn the first time around? Um, uh, and I guess the nugget is, I'm gay. <laughs> so there it is. Um, which I look back at my college run, I go, oh, yeah, it was there the whole time. It was just like taking it's off. It's unacknowledgeable. It's taking the mask off for yourself is well, really what it came and, down to. And the thing is, is like, I think, I think a lot of people beat themselves up for stuff they feel like they should have known about themselves when yeah. they weren't ready to know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think those important. things, and I think those things manifest themselves when they're supposed to manifest themselves. Exactly. And I exactly. think we're guided to those moments when they're supposed to happen as well. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of divine stuff that happens for that stuff. And so, like, if you know me, if you know me at all, like, part of my testimony of the gospel um, of Jesus Christ was always that I felt like people and you were placed in a certain spot at the specific moment in time you were placed there for the people that were around you. 
whether or not you were benefiting them or vice versa, they were benefiting you. And more than likely, it was for me, for my own benefit. Hmm. That's beautiful. Um, and that's always kind of been something that stuck with me. Like, my best friends, like, I can see exact moments when they entered, exactly why they were there, the profound moment they were there. And I'm still friends with them, right? But they, we all move on. We move places. That's, we do things as well. Kevin and I always talk about that, just that energy. <clears throat> like, we always have felt like, you know, regardless of what you believe in or what higher power, that yeah. there's like an energy that connects us at the times we need to be connected. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, they do. Sometimes I have great friends who maybe I don't talk to as much anymore. That's okay. I still love yeah. them, but I don't need that same connection in my life. I have different connections yeah. now. Yeah, and work. then when they do reenter your life and stuff like that, like you pick up, like it's yep. like it never, like you never were apart. And those are the those are the true friends, right? Anyway, so the Brene Brown quote that made me like come to Jesus about you know owning my own shit. Um, I think she even says that. Doesn't she say that at one point? She's like, she says it all the time. Really <laughs> <laughs> she goes, uh, it's, it's owning our, our story can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. Embracing vulnerability, our vulnerabilities is risky, but not nearly as dangerous as giving up the love, uh, on love and belonging and joy. The experience that make us most vulnerable. Only when we're brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of the light. So like, from braving the wilderness. Yeah. That it is. And so without like, without knowing the darkness, you can't ever know the light too, right? You have to know both. Um, and I thought that was so powerful. And it was like, I have to own my own shit in order to like. So it was like, you're finally recognizing who you wanted. You finally decided you yeah. wanted to be vulnerable and really belong. Yeah. And that quote happened for me. I read that quote on some Facebook post or some Instagram post. Cause I'm always attached to it. Um, in the middle of the, like at like one o'clock in the morning, just couldn't sleep for some reason, um, opened it up. And that was the first thing I think I saw on, on social media. And I was like, I got to like have a conversation with this, with God. I got out of my bed. <clears throat> my roommates were, it was a Friday night. So my roommates were all home and they all had girls over watching a movie. It was past curfew. So you all lie. <laughs> um, and you're all you're all doing things that you shouldn't be doing, right? Um, no, it's uh, there's no shame there. Um, have the movie night and have the girls over. I don't care. Um, you're not doing anything bad if you're in the living room doing just hanging out with each other. <laughs> that's where that's where real relationships and friendships form, right? Like just hanging out with each other. Um, so I remember leaving, and my roommates were like, "Are you okay?" Because I left in a hurry, and my roommate texted me and was like, "Are you okay? What's going on?" Because I never leave the house after like. 10 o'clock because I'm like done. I'm an old man and I'm an old fart. I go to bed at 10.30. <laughs> um, so, because uh, I have to work. Um, so I drove and I was like, where is the place that I feel peace the most? And it was the temple. Um, so I drove to the Provo Temple. It's obviously closed so you can't go in there at that time. But there's a parking lot right in front of it that you can sit mm -hmm. and stare at the light and stuff like that. And so I just remember having a conversation and I was there till five in the morning. I worked that day. It was the worst shift of my life because <laughs> I was so tired, but it was so needed. Um, and I just remember having a conversation in the car by myself, crying. Um, and I don't cry very often, so when it happens, it's a to me, it's like, okay, this is you're really feeling feelings, and you got to let that happen. Um, and just having that conversation with, okay, if I'm gay, like, give me confirmation. And if this is what I, if this is okay, give me confirmation. And if I'm supposed to embrace this and move forward with it and be happy in this life, you got to help me do that. And it was, I don't know, it doesn't feel like that. It was like an instant flood of happiness, joy, and peace. 
that was the most indescribable moment of my life. I think it was the most profound spiritual moment I had where it was just like, this is who you are. There's nothing wrong with you. Go be happy. And <clears throat> that's love, man. Yeah. And I'll preface it back to, um, go be happy was very specific wording to me because my dad's last words were for me were go be happy. And that's what you heard in that moment. And that's what I heard that's in that moment. That's so beautiful. awesome. And so for me, it was clear cut. That was clear as day. Okay, you're gay. Let's go do this. Let's go be this. Let's go be, be yourself. fully who you are yeah. and just embrace it. And within, so within that week, I had told my best friend, um, I had finally come out, which, by the way, I had tested the waters earlier. Um, so I, it was after Thanksgiving. It was in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I think. I think. Or it might have been a trip before that. We are from the same hometown, so we traveled down to see our parents a lot. Um, so I, on that, one of those trips down, I had tested the waters where I was talking about a friend who had asked me on a date, he's gay. And I had politely said no. (laughs) And, um, there was a quiet moment where it was going to be like, but I am gay. Um, but I chickened out because I'm chicken shit, so I didn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) So I finally, I had that, I got that confirmation and I texted my friend and said, I need to talk to you. It's important. It has to happen this week. And he's like, okay thinking something was up. He's like, do you need to just tell me right now? I was like, no, I have to, t- I have to vocalize it. Like, cause I still at that moment hadn't outwardly vocalized that I'm gay. So at that, that, which by the way is a powerful moment. I think the first time you actually can say that to yourself or to someone like that's a, that's a terrifyingly very vulnerable moment. Talk um, about risky, right? Very risky yeah. because you're thinking this could literally change the whole dynamic of the friendship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could not well, that, even have this friend. Vulnerability is risk and uncertainty. Yeah. yeah. And so you go and you, you, you tell him. Yeah. Wow. In the car. It was just like. And did. It was a did, rip the bandaid kind of moment. How did he react? He was like, cool. <laughs> he was like, and? <laughs> he was like, was awesome. that what was so important? I was like, yeah. Could you like. Could you like be a little bit more sensitive about it? You're, you're kind of making it so nonchalant that it's really kind of it's kind of making me mad. Cracks me up because <laughs> when I remember when my brother told me he was gay, I I knew, I knew, yeah, and I told my but sister. I, I I same kind of what you're saying. I didn't want to take that away from him. I knew when he was ready to tell me, he'd tell yep. me, and I was not going to pull that out. Yeah. But I remember when he told me, he's, and we were in my kitchen. I will never forget it. And I was like, yeah. And he's like. Why aren't you actually yeah, more why are, shocked? Why are you not shocked? And I said, I, 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 nerd, I knew. In, I think in our mind, at least for me, in oh, my he mind, he was hiding it so well. I was so good at hiding it. You <laughs> never knew. Like, there's but the no best thing, you know way. what he said to me? He goes, why didn't you tell me earlier? We could have had this conversation years <laughs> ago. Time. No, and my sister, my sister was like, I've known since I think you were 12. Like, yeah, it's, it's been evident. And she was like, but you know, good but for you. But you weren't ready. Good for you. And so it good for matter. owning it. And so my sister and I have a good relationship because of that, but she's That's like, good for owning it. How was um, it with, how did your mom handle it? Not great. It's still not great. Um, so just to keep that timeline going, within that time of telling my friend, I had told all of my super close friends within that same month, and I had come out to my whole family. So within You're a like, month, boom, boom, I boom. ripped the bandaid. And people are like, you ripped that bandaid off so fast because it took people. And I still know people that haven't, like, are... In relationships, still haven't told their families and stuff like it that. Takes and a I long love time. those people, but and they need to go on their own journeys, right? So it's a big thing for them. 
there's just so much fear and shame wrapped around that, that it's just like, how do you get to that point where you can feel comfortable doing that? And I still don't think I felt comfortable doing it. It was just like, I can't go through this life anymore hating myself because it's not worth it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless Sorry, of what I have to interrupt. That, that language is so powerful. Yeah. And that is something that I don't think we get to understand when who we are is accepted socially, culturally. It's something I I won't get that. The only way I can understand that is I'm a white, straight male. (laughs) I am freaking white bread. You hit the lottery. Yeah. Quite honestly. And so I don't, I don't, racism or sex, all this, I, I don't get that. And I think, Part of the problem is the people who are making all of the standards and rules and ideas of what is and is not acceptable look like me, sound like me, and have sex with people like I have sex with people, women. And, and so we, we, in this position of power, get to make all these grand ideas of what is and is not acceptable. And I don't think that we step back enough and realize that you were hating yourself. That, that is the strongest word I think there is in the English language of an emotion. Think of the word hate. Think of something, a moment you felt hate. Imagine yourself looking in the mirror and detesting what you see because of what you hear. Not because of who you are, but because of what you've heard what your you've whole life. Told. What you were told. What these white guys get to decide is good and is acceptable. And that's that's why it's hard for people to come out. That's why it's hard for people to be authentic. That's why vulnerability is still looked down upon. That's why we use words like weakness and girl for being emotional and being vulnerable. And and I I, I don't know. That was just it's such a powerful word the way that you said that. And so I, I'm just I'm grateful that you were able to realize like, okay, I don't want to hate myself. I want to love myself. I want to have a good relationship with myself. And I think one of the coolest things ever is that that process began in the parking lot of a Mormon temple. (laughs) And you felt clarity. You felt what some people might call the spirit. You felt what some people might call divine intervention and God and love and all this thing telling you, confirming to you who you are. That's contrary to much of the doctrine much of the perpetuated normalcy that we hear. And and I think how how can we question that? Yeah. To how me, can we tell somebody that that's not okay? To me that was personal revelation. Yeah. Like which is what we hear in the the LDS church. Yeah. Personal revelation which we're all like entitled to, right? Like that's what We're all capable that's of. That's all it. something we're capable of all receiving mm-hmm. for ourselves. And so to me that was personal revelation. Um I just learned very quickly that I let others dictate my happiness and that was not okay. Like that's not okay. Mm-hmm. You dictate your own happiness. You define what your happiness is. Um, and I learned that very quickly after coming out. Like I'm so much happier because of that. Like that moment, it was scary as hell. And like for those that have gone through it, you are powerful and strong people. Um, those that are struggling to do that, I think, you know, just get to that point where you love yourself enough to say enough is enough and just stop thinking about what other people care think about because quite honestly, 
they're not thinking it. Like, they don't care. Um, because it's not directly involving them usually. And the, and the people who do care and are judging you can go can F go themselves. Suck. I'm keeping it PG-13 today. <laughs> but they can't. They Quite honestly, yeah. they can. And that's our job as human beings is to be like, listen, you fit in my world and I'm going to allow you in. You, you freaking suck. Get the hell out. There's nothing wrong with that. That yeah. is definitely our prerogative. And in my head, it was like, okay, I'm going to tell everyone if you don't like it, there's the door. Yeah. I just don't care anymore. Boom. Um, and if you you do, then you're welcome to stay. And you're welcome to contribute. And you're welcome to be my friend. You're welcome to do those things. And you're welcome to be part of my inner circle where I counsel with people about things that I'm going through. But I'm going to keep it real. I remember um, one time. I don't know why this is just coming to my mind. Um, I remember one time thinking super shitty about myself. Um, I got to the point where I didn't like looking in the mirror, which is, we just talked about this, but I got to the point where I was like, I can't, I can't not deal with that. Um, but I got to the point where I just didn't like looking at myself and I thought it was because I just wasn't where I wanted to be physically. It was not that it was because I was wrestling with demons on the inside. Um, but I remember texting my close circle of friends thinking I, and I angled it as I'm doing research on I don't know what it was, but it was just like um, about perceptions of others. And I just want to know three things that you think about me. They can be negative or positive. Um, and I just want to take that and kind of work with it. I was digging for compliments is what I was doing. <laughs> um, because I felt shitty and I felt like I needed a boost. Right. And I know those friends are going to not say anything negative. They're going to say things. If they do, they're going to spin it positively, right? Um, and every single person I texted back said, you're unafraid. There was something along the lines of, you're unafraid of being who you are and you don't give a shit about what other people think about you. And when I got that, I was like, that's bullshit. Like, I care you so much about what people think about me. And I'm like... It literally drives my function every day. It's how do I avoid the situation where people think I'm gay or people think that I'm not, um, I'm not capable of doing something. Like it drives my every day, um, and it doesn't now. Thank goodness, because I've because you've accepted s- yourself. Accepted. You have it. a good relationship with yourself. Yeah, and I've decided to do the self care. Which, by the way, <laughs> I work in a company where like I preach self care to you, like daily. And how can I preach something that I can't do myself? Like, if I'm not mm-hmm. willing to practice those self-care things for myself, how the hell can I harp on that all day? Like, it's just tiring. It's actually just kind of just eats at you a little bit. So, yeah, I, I think we've mentioned, have I talked about my tree before on here? Do you know what that is? Uh-uh. It's this uh, Buddhist principle that, that Pema Chodron is very big on. And I've talked about her before in her Did work. Did you post that on Facebook? Yeah. I read that. Yeah, it, she she's an incredible person who's dedicated her life to like the teachings of the Buddha and and my tree is this idea that I my relationship with myself is my most important relationship and she describes it in her beautiful very poetic way as basically self-friendliness and I can be friendly to myself in my own actions and my own deeds and my own words and that can look like a, a myriad of different things what's important is that I am a friend to myself. And there are parts of me, especially as you get into like doing really cool therapies. There's some really cool therapy stuff you can do with like parts work. And anyways, but there's parts of me that have kept me safe for a very, very long time that are not as helpful as they once were. And I can 
acknowledge their existence and say, thank you for keeping me safe. Thank you. Like this angry part of me, I can say, thank you. Angry part of me. I don't need you anymore. I need you to step back because it's time for me and my true self to step forward. And a lot of people have to work through that in very different and nuanced ways. And my tree becomes this really great opportunity for people to look, take a look at themselves and ask, what is my relationship like with myself? Do I genuinely take time for myself? What is my love language for myself? Do I go out and over-exercise because I want to push down some of the feelings that I have? Or do I go and sit with my feelings and try to understand and push through them and talk to friends? And It's, it's a really cool, very long process that we do throughout our entire life that I think authenticity is the result of. Mm-hmm. And, and it sounds like that's kind of what you're doing. Like, like a year ago, you're just like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm going to, I'm going to be my best friend. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. Was that a book or something? Pema children is a, she's Pema a children. Woman. I mean, is she, does she she's teach about the tree in a, like a book? Yeah. That's my really tree is cool. a word. It's, it's actually, a, I think it, I don't know if it's Chinese or I think it might be Chinese, but yeah, it's a Buddhist principle. Yeah, she has tons of books. She just released a new one, yeah. I just feel like so many people, myself included, could totally benefit from... Because that, that... I mean, I'm sure I've said it many times on this podcast, but it's something we don't work on, is that having this relationship with ourselves. Yeah, something that pops into my mind a lot, church-wise, is the principle of love thy, love thy neighbor as thyself. And I think we forget about the thyself part the most, mm-hmm. where it's like okay, I can only love my neighbor as much as I can love myself. And if I can't even love myself, how am I supposed to help the other person? <laughs> I just heard a pod, an Oprah, Oprah podcast. I listened to them all the time and I don't even remember who was on it. I, I want to say it was Deepak Chopra. But anyways, he said, he's like, I don't trust people who say that they love me when I know they don't love themselves. Exactly. And but I'm that's like, exactly what it comes down to. Oh, I think yeah. that's me. I got to work on that. Cause yeah. I thought, cause she's like, if you don't love yourself, there's no way you really love me. Yeah. And I just thought that was really <sighs> cool. cool. Or who, it wasn't, it was a, it was a woman. It wasn't Deepak Chopra, but Hold anyways, on. Brene Brown. She just, I just read this today. Actually, I wrote it down. Hold on. Let me find it. Oh, oh where is it? It was so good. Um, okay. So, as you're doing this, I want to ask you a question. Okay. What's your relationship now with your religion? Um, Has it changed because a, of your circumstances? Okay, so the quote was, if you're not also in the arena in the arena getting your ass kicked, I'm not interested in your feedback. So if you're not in it with me right now, then like get the hell out. <laughs> you don't deserve to have any myriad of opinion about what I'm going through. Oh, we love the arena quote. It's in Matt's office. It's like one of our favorites and Matt has it plastered. It's this huge blow up picture in his office. And I think it's the coolest thing. It is. I'm getting a tattoo of it on my body. <laughs> I got my first tattoo. I really am. I oh, did. did you? Yeah, I got the King of Hearts on my ankle. Oh, I love and it. I love and it. it is literally my little symbol to myself saying, I'm in charge of my own happiness. I'm the king of my own happiness. And like, Ooh, I like that. I freaking love that. That's that's a cool tattoo, yeah. man. I so love that. What king of Hearts. So it wasn't just like, oh, I like the symbol of the King of Hearts. I'm just going to get this. Because there's a lot mm. of people that do get the King of Hearts tattoo. But to yeah. me, it's symbolic about I am in charge of my own happiness. I'm taking control. And that's a reminder for me every day. Boom. So, I really yeah. like that. 
I think so. Yeah, I, I, I like her question. Like, what's yeah. your relationship with faith, religion, God? Now, obviously, you have your happiness. In- it's strange. So, where I feel the most shame, the most fear, the most um, nasty of the feelings, I guess, is church. Um, and it's mostly, I'm sure, self perpetuated, right? Because I've grown up thinking, this is where you heard this is wrong all your life. So, yeah. like at like you go to church and you feel that. Yeah. So that's I just have not gone to church since because. I just do not allow myself to have to feel that feeling for no reason, aside from the fact that I just feel it when I'm there. And it's not saying that people there aren't good people, and it's not saying that the principles there being taught aren't good principles. It's just where I feel the most triggered when it comes to shame, and I refuse to allow myself to deal with that um, for no reason. So that's difficult to wrestle with because I still, like those morales, those principles that I learned and grew up with, those are still very much attached to me and how I kind of move through life, how I kind of make my decision-making, and they've guided me well so far, and they continue to guide me on those actions too, but I just feel there is no way to be in two spots at once. You can't be on both sides of the fence. You have to pick and choose. I actually had a really good conversation with a friend the other day who is active. He's actually getting married next month in the temple and I'm going to be part of it. He's asked me to be a groomsman, which I think is really cool considering he knows everything about me. Um, I know I can't go into the temple for that, but it's still kind of cool to be part of that and, and be part of his life and do those things. But he and I had a conversation just randomly. I was, I called him that day and we were just talking and he was just asking me how I was doing with church and stuff like that. We talked about the same stuff. Like, you know, I still very much ideal to those principles and it's a moral compass for me. I still value those things. I'm testing the boundaries, right? I got a tattoo. <laughs> I've had drinks. Um, I drink coffee. Coffee is my life now. It, it's my every day. <laughs> it's like the morning it's ritual It's like the nectar now. of the gods. It really is. <laughs> and You have to sweeten the crap out of that, though, because I cannot. No, you'll learn. Oh, it no. gets better. It doesn't. <laughs> you got to have so good, good coffee. Good. We got to go to a good coffee shop, man. <laughs> I'll get you some the good shit. <laughs> the dankest Don't listen, Matt. Matt doesn't have taste buds, just so you know. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, he drinks scary. the nastiest shit you've ever had. Uh, <laughs> we digress. <laughs> you um, just don't have a, a, an astute palate. <laughs> so, you know what I find fascinating? Um, I was talking to uh, my, my brother and his partner recently, and we were talking about, like, temple situations mm-hmm. with the LDS Church and... It was something, um, so his partner didn't grow up LDS. He grew up uh, Protestant. I'm going to say it wrong, but anyways, another religion. And we were talking about the temple thing and how we invite people, how people in the the LDS religion will invite people to the temple, right? But you can't go in. Mm -hmm. You're not worthy. And to him, he was like, that's crazy. (laughs) He's like, that is so rude. That is so like in any other part of the world that is so awful and degrading and not okay. And I never thought of it like that because it's how I grew up. So that's all I knew. Mm-hmm. So anyways, it, it sounds like you've done a really good job with kind of not having the anger side, yeah, but being able to be happy where you are, but be happy for those yeah. that have decided to so do I it harbor, their way. I harbor no resentment towards the church. Like, they didn't have... I had no um, bad experiences growing up in the church that made me want to be like, 
fuck it. Yeah. Um, I really didn't. Like, I had nothing but pleasant, great experiences. I look back at memories of going on camping trips, doing those things, and just going through church, um, just having a great time. In fact, that was probably where I had a lot of the great memories, which is funny because now it's turned into this thing where I go to church and I feel the, the most shame yeah. about, yeah. Um, which is something to work through, I guess. But um, I don't know. I just had a conversation with that, that conversation I had with my friend, like, literally, I think it was maybe one or two weeks ago. And he was just like, you know, I get that you're trying to find the delicate balance, but there's always going to be a choice that you have to make. And so you have to make the choice of whether or not you're going to be in the church and miserable because that means being celibate and not doing any of those things and just living the life that I was living before I came out, which was miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, and not saying that those that choose to do that it's miserable for them. If you can do it, by all means, more power to you. Uh, if you can do it, let me know who you are. Because for real, tell me people who, do it though. Tell me, but they being do. celibate sounds but I so. I think a lot of people freaking do, awful. I think a lot of people do it out of fear, um, or just uncertainty. Well, because the fear of uncertainty is really what it comes down to. Yeah, you. I mean, religion is fear based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that. And, and, and if you're not, like, if you're a religious person, and I, I would consider, oh, I'm talking to the side of the microphone. <laughs> Sorry, hopefully you heard that. Uh, uh, it, religion is supposed to be fear-based. It it's has to be. God-fearing, yeah. Yeah, and, and because you are worried, fearful of the consequences and punishments you will receive if you don't live according to the standards, rules, mor- morals, that you have committed to. Yeah. So so there's there's this commitment part to it, right? And I think that's an important part for religion that we have we have to help people as well acknowledge and understand like as much as we want to be bitter or angry or whatever or resentful towards any faith for their exclusivity, many things that are exclusive exist in the world. Should religions be exclusive? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I think it's sh- something that should they be hateful? <clears throat> no. Should they be prejudiced? No. Should they be, you know, bigoted? No. That exists mm-hmm. and is very prevalent in many faiths. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't think that's okay. And people sign up for it, hopefully knowing what they get into. Caveat: How much transparency is there in many faiths? There's mm-hmm. lacking transparency. And that's that's the thing that gets difficult. That's where it gets kind of tough. And I think that's where this shame thing really sets in hard with organized religions is there's doctrine and then there's the minutia. And all that minutia creates very deep-seated cultures of judgment and non-acceptance across the board in many different religions and that's what gets tough for people, I think, because we as human beings are very, very, very interested in marginalizing, categorizing, and creating boxes for people to fit into. That being said, Brene Brown, the woman herself, <laughs> says that it's very important to go and be in a congregation and break bread with people, which I think is wonderful, too. People with shared values. Uh, well, she, she talks about all the yeah. time, though, of not of putting herself with strangers because she thinks that we do. And, and we do, we, we group ourselves, Mm -hmm. we do it ourselves. No one else does Mm -hmm. it. 
And so if you're grouping with the same people, you have the same friends, the same, your family, you're all the same, you need to go. And that's why she says break bread with a congregation of people you don't know. Because mm-hmm. that's how you get to know people. That's yeah. how you... A diverse congregation of people who you don't know. <clears throat> yeah. That's why I go to concerts. I think the thing that motivates... <laughs> I do love that. That too. I think the thing that motivates me now um, is the fact that it's... I'm living life right now, day to day, right? Like, so I get today, and I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. What did I do today that made me happy? And what did I do today to live honestly and truthfully that wasn't hiding or that wasn't scared or something like that? How am I living presently today? And that, at the end of the day, drives my factor. Like, at the end of the day, when I'm about to die, will I look back at this life and be like, I'm damn proud of what I did. It's awesome. Or am I going to be, like, scared because I was, like, scared the whole time and totally. didn't want to do those things? And missed out on something yeah. great. And I think I think just to keep the religion thing going for just one more second and then we'll move on. We actually probably should wrap up because we're approaching 90 minutes here. <laughs> but I think religion helps people do that. Yeah. Really, really well in some cases and guides people in a very healthy, effective, loving way more often than not. Yeah. And I have wonderful principles that I yeah. guide myself through. I learn them from church. Yeah. The um, values I, that you carry with you. And I'll never you. give those up. Yeah. They'll always be part of me um, and they'll value me through. But that doesn't mean that I can't go be myself at the right. same time. Exactly. Because your values that you learn in the Mormon church have guided you to the place that you're in where you're happy now. Mm-hmm. And one of those values that I learned as well in the Mormon faith and the LDS faith and Christianity is... I know what's best for me. Yeah. And my relationship with God is personal mm-hmm. and I get to decide that. That might not be something that's taught super often. It's definitely doctrinal. Yeah. And I know because I get to understand what I need for me. And my prescription for happiness is something that I get to create for myself. And it's not something that somebody gets to tell me, well, that thing that your prescription, the way that you feel happy, that's a wrong way to feel happy. And I'm talking about happiness and joy. I'm not talking about pleasure and euphoria. That's different. Yeah. That's very different. And that that gets confused. Those are two different things. And and my my quest in life is not even really for the happiness, joy moments. My quest in life is to experience as much contentment as possible. To find peace, which is readily available at any given moment, any given time. And I think my value set from the church has taught me that. I think we're all just divinely unique, right? We're all unique individuals. So how is there just one path for just everyone? We're all unique. There's a unique path for everyone. And I think it's our job and obligation to ourselves, towards our self-care and self-love to figure out what that path is for us and what that looks like. And it's different for everyone. Amen. I love that. That's, that is no part, that's exactly my, what my thoughts were. And I would say... Like my biggest takeaway from today is the fact that there are people out there who look in the mirror and hate themselves. And so our job just as human beings is to love people and genuinely not judge the way they're living their life necessarily. Like realize like exactly what you just said. Everyone has their own path. Let them live it because the only way you're going to be happy is if you're doing living your life your way. Yeah. And, and it's think, not all going to be the same. I think just to speak to anyone that is wrestling with something like that, like whether it's gay or if it's something different, like we're all having our own battles. You've got to take that deep look into yourself. And if it's really affecting your, 
your physical health, your spiritual health, just your overall general health. Like you've got to have that battle with yourself and it's a battle. Like there's no way it's not a battle. Like, but you've got to have that battle because you'll win. Um, because you will always win that battle with yourself. Um, and you will be better for it. And so if you're scared to take that step, just do it. Rip the bandaid off. It's easier said than done. <laughs> Trust me. Um, but the reward at the end of the day is just tenfold. So I love it, man. Yes. Thank you're you. Stud. Corey, thank you so much. That was awesome. Thank you so much. I learned a lot as always. <laughs> Great episode. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. <laughs>